Howdy folks and welcome to the Speak Up podcast, your number one topical discussion podcast surrounding all things mental health. I'm your host Ashley and I'll be hosting this episode today. It's episode two and as I said in the trailer it's basically split into two parts. The first part I'll be addressing what keeps anxiety and depression going. Uh, I'll be talking about cognitive distortions which are basically distorted thinking patterns, all right, uh, that keep um, a lot of sort of common mental health is- issues um, going. I'll be talking about all the different types, or certainly a few of them, and I'll be linking them back to my university experience and how that kind of affected me. And part two will be about public versus private sector uh, mental health care. So I'll be talking about uh, my experiences on the NHS but also my experience is seeing a private psychotherapist. You know, generally what the costings are and also recommendations of how to find a therapist. Again, just as a quick disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist or a mental health specialist, so please, please, please treat this as informational only. Although I do have a lot of lived experiences of mental health, at least 15 years worth of of my own personal experiences, so I hope you get some value out of this, guys. I'll leave it there for now, but I hope you enjoy the episode and look forward to um, recording more in the future, guys. So yeah, uh, that's all. Howdy, folks. And you're listening to the Speak Up podcast, your number one topical discussion podcast surrounding all things mental health. And I'm your host, Ashley, and I'll be talking to you today in episode two about cognitive distortions. Now, for those of you that listened to the um, preview, I explained that it would be split into two sections, this, this episode, episode two. The first section will be talking about what keeps sort of common mental health conditions going, what keeps them going, basically. Uh, So this mainly sort of applies to anxiety and depression, right? But I suppose it can really apply to anything, any other sort of mental health um, condition, really. It's a very common, um, these are very common um, cognitive distortions um, that keep things going. Oh, you might be asking, what's a cognitive distortion? And I briefly outlined that in the trailer, but a cognitive distortion is basically um, a distorted thinking pattern or a flaw, a flaw in your in your thoughts and how you think. Now, there's many different cognitive distortions, right? And it's about eleven or twelve, but there might be there might be much more. Don't quote me on that. Uh, and again, just before we get into the meat and bones of it, I'm not a psychologist, right? I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not medically or mental health trained, right? So I'm not a doctor or anything like that. However, I've had, what, 15 years lived experience of, of mental health, um, um, you know, um, illnesses, really. So suffered from anxiety and depression for a good, I'd say maybe 15 years if I was to round it up, Right. And uh, I've had many different types of therapy, all right? And cognitive distortions are very much rooted in what we call CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy. And a lot of people with anxiety and depression, you will have experienced this in primary care. Uh, when you go to your GP and you get referred to 
whether it's IAPT, improving access to psychological therapies, or whether you see a private psychotherapist, right? Um, cognitive behavioural therapy or CBT, that'll be your first point of call. That's the first sort of therapy the NHS here in the UK, National Health Service. That's the first type of therapy that you'll be offered in, in, a, in combination with medication to treat uh, mild to moderate anxiety and depression. So yeah, so cognitive distortions are basically a flawed pattern or way of thinking. Um, and there's different types. And I'm going to go through some of the common ones, right? And I'm going to sort of link it back to the stories that I told you in the first episode. Now, for those that listened in the first episode, I talked about my time at university, going through college and, and this anxiety and depression that I, that I suffered with, specifically depression. When I was at the university in 2011, I suffered from really bad depression, right? It led to me dropping out, basically, in a nutshell. That's the top and bottom of it, right? Dropped out of university, right? But there was certain patterns in my thinking that kind of exacerbated or made the depression worse, right? And it's quite a common thing. It's it's like with anything, you know, once you get into a negative spiral, it's like a, almost like a crashing plane, right? You get yourself into a tailspin, you lose control of the aircraft, and you go down and you go down. It's the same with depression. Once you're on that negative feedback loop, that negative spiral of thinking, it gets worse and worse and you just can't control it. So the point of the first uh, part of this episode is we're going to talk about cognitive distortions, right? Uh, second part of the episode, I'm going to talk about um, the NHS um, versus private sector so i'll be talking about my experiences of nhs treatment uh within the context of mental health and i'm going to talk to you about my own experiences of private psychotherapy and how you can go about getting a private therapist and what my opinions are and things like that what my recommendations are now just before we get into it again i'm just going to state that i'm not i'm not an expert on any of this but i do have a lot of experience, life experience, and I think you can learn something from it, right? So without further ado, I'm going to jump straight into these cognitive distortions, right? And the first one I want to talk about is what's called black and white thinking, or all or nothing thinking. So it's basically two extremes, right? So if you find yourself saying to yourself, it never goes right for me, it's always going to go bad, I've always failed, I'll always fail. It never works out for me. I'll never find someone. I'll never get married. I'll never have children. I'm always the loser. My work's never good enough. Right? If you find yourself saying that to yourself in your head, that's all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. Thinking in terms of absolutes. That's what it means. So, if you find yourself thinking like that, it's useful as a starting point, and this is the point of this episode, it's useful as I'm going through, if I'm going through these um, cognitive distortions, as I'm going through them rather, it might be handy for you to have a think to yourself and think, well, do I exhibit any of these signs? Because the first step is actually noticing it, right? Noticing these things, and then you can take action, right? And, and start to change your ways and change the way you think. It's literally... Um, 
not that easy, but you know, it's very hard actually in, in practice. In theory, it might sound easy, but it's in practice very hard, right? And I still struggle with this. And it's not, I'm not doing this episode because I'm the finished article, right? I still struggle with this massively, massively. But recognizing that is the first step. So if you recognize any of this stuff I'm talking about and it's you, make an active effort to change your thoughts, right? Um, so instead of thinking, I don't know, so black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking, instead of, instead of saying to yourself in your sort of, you're in a dialogue in your head or that inner voice says to you, right? Oh, I'll never, I'll never achieve this. I'll never, I'll never get my degree. I'll never graduate. Maybe you could say to yourself, okay, instead of saying, I'll never do this. How about breaking it down into chunks and saying, okay, well, if I do this, there's less chance of that happening, you know? So you're kind of countering your own thoughts, right? I don't want to go into finding solutions for these because this is not the point. The point is I want to take, I want you to take this away with you is that I want you to be able to recognize these things. Recognizing them is, is point number one. Point number two is actually doing something about it, right? Um, they call it cognitive restructuring, basically, or reframing, Uh if you want to Google that, feel free. And that's kind of like, um, you'll find a lot more comprehensive advice on that. I'm not going to advise on this. I'm not advising on how to get over these things. I'm simply asking you to pay attention and sit up and be like, yeah, okay, that's me, man. I need to, I need to change my ways. If you want the answers, you know, have a quick Google or, or potentially see a therapist or, or you can even find books on cognitive behavioral therapy you can go to your GP and and um, they can prescribe actually like books to you. They can also give you online CBT if you need it or you can see a therapist or you can pay someone privately. So the, the opportunities are endless really to overcome these things. But the point is I'm getting you to basically recognition. It's about recognition. So that first one, right, just to recap, all or nothing or black and white thinking, thinking in absolute terms, or I'll never get better. I'll never do this. I'll never do that. I always fail. I am always um, a sucker to women. You know, I'll always be rejected. I'll always be a loser. I'll always this. I'll always that. And there's no shades of grey in between. And what you want to do is you want to start to notice the shades of grey in between. It's never always all or nothing, folks. There's always something you can um, think about. You know, and the problem is, is that when people are depressed, they cherry pick, they cherry pick the worst of every situation. And that leads in to my next cognitive distortion, which is catastrophizing, which is always assuming the worst of every situation. So it could mean, for example, and this is what I mean by cherry picking is people tend to just assume, you know, with very little evidence to support their theory or their claim. They give too much weight to the feelings, basically. That's what they do. And catastrophizing is basically where you assume the worst of everything. So it could be, I don't know, if my girlfriend, for example, I don't have a girlfriend, but if I did, if she didn't, if I text her and she didn't text me back for a couple of hours and I know that she's uh, driving somewhere, I might I might just assume that she's had a car crash, right? And she's died or something, and that's why she's not texting me back, right? That's catastrophizing. That's one example of it. That's a very extreme example, but there's many other examples of it. So that's catastrophizing. So I've gone through two already, right? Um, and for those two, obviously there's the black and white thinking. 
that very much played a part in my depression in 2011 while I was at university because I was always thinking to myself, oh, I'm always rubbish. Those people, they never talk to me because, you know, I'm very quiet and they, they maybe don't like quiet people and so therefore they don't want to engage with me uh, because of that, you know. They, they, uh, I'll always, I'm always going to be this way because this is what, what it's like. Catastrophizing again, it could be a case of, you know, um, I walk past the friend, you know, and, and they can see me, right? They can see me. They're walking past me. They, they've looked right at me, but for some reason, they didn't respond to me when I said hello, right? I could assume, I could assume that um, they've fallen out with me or something, you know, something I've done, maybe I've done, and, uh, you know, they've fallen out with me. They don't like me anymore. That's why they've not spoke to me. When actually it could be the case that they're just really busy and they've got a lot on their minds and it just didn't register that I was right there in front of them. It could be, it could be that they have fallen out with me, but that's a small, there's a small chance of that, right? So that's an example of how they kind of tie into my, uh, that, that black time at, at university, that dark time, you know, they're just examples, really. And you can apply these quite easily to different situations, right? So the next one is personalization. So personalization is taking things, I guess, putting a personal spin on everything. Uh, so I could say, for example, right, um, I'm responsible for, for something, right, that has got absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm not responsible for it. So... It could be, for example, just plucking an example out of the air, right? Um, I have a child, for example, and, he, and he's got in trouble with the law, right? He's broken the law, right? And that's my fault as a parent, right? And I blame myself. I take it personally. I blame myself. It's my fault. When actually things are much more complex than that. It's not really, you know, although I'm the parent and I'm assigning blame to myself, right? Uh, there's a lot more to it than that. It's more nuanced. It's more. There's more complex things at play. Uh, you know, there's a lot more different things that you could look at. You know, so it could be to do with the fact that he's hanging around with the wrong people at school. It could be I don't know absolutely anything. There's like a million and one different uh, reasons why why that might be the case. But yeah, personalization. Another one could be I don't know. Um, so I'm 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 surrounded by people, right? And they're and they're coughing, they're coughing around me, and I I might get very paranoid about that, and I might think, do you know what? The reason they they're coughing around me is because there's something about me that people don't like, and I'm I'm contagious in some way, right? And 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 I I personalise that and I put my own spin on it. It could be something about me. They might be reacting to you know the fact that I've had I've sprayed links, and, and maybe they maybe they're asthmatic, right? They're asthmatic. They have a medical condition. But that doesn't occur to me because actually I put a personal spin on it, you know. So, yeah. So, and that was also um, something that played a part in my time at university because basically um, I had, um, you know, because I was quiet and stuff, I thought people didn't want to be around me. I wasn't interesting, right? Um when, you know, it could have been, you know, there's a million one different reasons why people do things, right? Um, and they, you know, it's it's all about your mindset, folks, basically. So, like, you know, people tend to, um, they minimise and maximise things, and that leads into the next 
cognitive distortion, which is max, man, sorry, magnification and minimization. So I could exaggerate my mistakes, you know. I could be an A-star student, right? And I could get everything right, right? And it might be just the one time when I got something wrong. And I'm beating myself up and berating myself and saying, you know what, man, I couldn't I couldn't do that one thing, you know. Uh, you know, I'm just really disappointed in myself, man. But then I'm minimising my achievements. So someone could say to me, do you know what, Ash? You know, I really liked how you how you um, did that. And, you know, despite the fact that, you know, you, um, you maybe didn't get it right. I liked how you delivered that presentation. And I could say, well, that don't matter really because I still made that mistake, you know. You know, exaggerating mistakes and minimising achievements, basically. And that happened a lot at university, you know. I was always sort of focused, hyper-focused on what went wrong. I wasn't focusing enough on what went right, you know. Um, and I was also, I guess as well, just comparing myself to other people. And that's another one. That's another distortion is comparison, you know. And they say comparison is the thief of joy. And it, and it really is because... You're magnifying, um, I guess, other people's strengths and you're minimising your own, actually, paradoxically. That's what you're doing, effectively, right? Um, emotional reasoning, that's another cognitive distortion, folks. So, and this is a big one, right? It's basically believing that what you feel is right. You're, you're, um, and I talked about this in episode one when I said about my paranoia. I said, right, you know, sometimes I can have thoughts in my head, and I think they're based in reality, right? I think that because I feel that way, it must be true, right? So, for example, I'll just give you an example here. So I could think, right, I could be walking down the street and someone's laughing, right? And I think, yeah, it's automatically, it's about me. Because I feel insulted because someone's laughing, uh, I think it's about me because I walked past at that precise time, someone is laughing at me, right? And I think it's about me, Right? And I know it's about me because I feel it's about me and therefore my feelings are factual when actually um, it could be so far from the truth that, you know, it's just bizarre. You know, it might just be that they were talking about someone else as I walked past and I, I kind of attributed that to me, you know. So basically, in a nutshell with that, you're using emotional reasoning, you're using your feelings and you're basically misattributing them to be fact. So you're saying to yourself, well, actually... Um, I feel like I feel this way therefore they must feel the same way you know I feel like I've upset them and I feel angry so therefore they must feel angry at me they must feel the same way sort of thing when actually you don't really know you don't really know what the truth is unless you ask and they tell you basically uh, so that's emotional reasoning right so an example of that when I was at university right is that you know, if I sent an email to, to a tutor about um, um, deadlines and things, having a, an extension for a deadline because I'm stressed out and I'm really behind with the deadlines, with the coursework and things like that, and I need I need to get um, that email across to him ASAP, right? And he doesn't respond, right? And he didn't respond to the email, so I go to the tutor and I say, look, did you get my email? I need this uh, I need this paperwork signing off, you know, uh, ASAP. Um, I, I might think that immediately he's really cross with me, right? I might feel like I've upset him, that he's sick and tired of hearing about me and hearing and seeing my emails. 
when actually he could turn around to me and say, Do you know what, I've just um, I've been out for the day or I've not been checking my email, but my inbox, right? So that's the reason why I'm, um, that's the reason why um, he's not responded. It's got absolutely nothing to do with how I feel. It's probably got more to do with how they feel and, and things like that and how, how their feelings have affected their actions, you know. It still doesn't mean that they don't like you or they're angry, but it's just one of those things. Right. Another one is, um, spare me a second. I've got the actual notes right in front of me, guys. So there's the disqualifying the positives, right? So, for example, right, I've been in a situation where I've, I don't know, if, for example, I've I've got a nice haircut, right, and I bought myself a nice shirt, right, and I'm on I'm I'm going about my daily work, my 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 work day, right, and I could receive four or five compliments on my hair, and they could say, you know what, Ash, that cut really suits you, the shape of your face, right, it really suits you. And there could be one person that said to me, do you know what, mate, I don't like that hair, it's too short, it doesn't really suit you at all, it makes you look horrible, I don't like it, you know, and I could choose to focus on the negative and really disqualify those positives. But you really got to look at the evidence and say, well, actually, I've received six compliments today. Five of those have been positive, one has been negative. Which one are you going to choose to focus on, you know? So, yeah, so and a primary example of this was when I was doing design work at university, right? People were heads and shoulders above me. And like I say, I was comparing myself to them, right? People could say, do you know what, Ash? I really, really like that, you know, that logo that you've done. It's really good. I like it. It's really good, right? But the problem is, is that my self-esteem is so low, right? And I just think they're being really nice to me, yeah? I think they're being nice to me and I feel like I don't deserve that, right? It, which might not be the case, right? And one person said to me, do you know what, Ash? I do agree with you there. I don't like that. I think you can do a hell of a lot better. And I'm choosing to focus on that rather than on all the other stuff, right? Just always remember as well, if someone pays you a compliment, accept it with grace because people generally don't go out the way to give you a positive compliment unless they really mean it as well, right? And sometimes criticism, there is positivity in that as well. So, you know, that's that's the good thing about that, right? So there some of the cognitive distortions. I won't go through them all, but they're some of the main ones, right? And you can find more on cognitive distortions, right? Uh, with a quick google um you can use different resources i recommend you go on any nhs resources wikipedia is a good place to start for non-academic purposes because there's they've got a lot of information on there about cognitive distortions right and about all these specific ones i've mentioned yeah however you know um use that as a basis of your research if you want to really learn about psychology stuff go to reputable sources of information i've quoted and well paraphrased rather from sources that are reliable that are open to the public and readily accessible uh, and from my own experience as well in my own words really so that's what i've done so they're the cognitive distortions um so i hope that's helped clarify to you some of the thoughts and feelings you might have in your head that kind of some of these cognitive distortions that keep it going and keep that keep you on the hamster wheel keep you spinning right recognize those and try to reframe it and change the narrative and change the vocabulary that you're using in your head um rather than saying to yourself it always works out this way it must work out this way because of this 
you know, change um, change your expectations as well. I'm not saying don't expect anything. Change your expectations to be realistic. Change the way you're talking to yourself and your inner voice, but also have a little bit of hope as well because we all need hope at the end of the day, folks. Right, so I hope that's been helpful to you. All right. We'll move on to the second section of this episode, which is going to be all about private versus NHS healthcare, right? Now, this isn't a blame game. I'm not trying to um, favour one over over the other because I've had experience of both. I've had NHS care, right? Um, CBT and psychotherapy, right? So I'll just list the pros and the cons of the NHS therapy, right? And I'll talk about psychotherapy, so I mean like counselling and seeing a therapist. I don't mean CBT, which is cognitive behavioural therapy. That is a type of therapy, but it's more practical. It's more solution-based. I'm talking about talking therapy, so sitting down and talking about your problems, going back into your childhood, talking about your past, right? So the NHS, uh, the pros are that basically... Uh, you get a professional that's already in the service. You don't really have to check on their credentials. It's quite likely that they are qualified, all right? Um, they are qualified to varying degrees and different types of therapy in the NHS. So do your research, folks. The other good thing about the NHS is that um, it's free as well. Obviously, it's free uh, in the UK. Healthcare's free. It's, it's taxpayer-funded, right? So they're the main two um, positives of the NHS, uh, of the care. You can almost sort of guarantee that if you do it rock bottom in, cri in crisis, you will get some type of care. You might not get the full support because at the minute, um, the, the establishment or the government in this country at the minute doesn't really believe in funding a public health service and they give the very bare minimum. Well, I won't, I'm not here to make political points, but that's the that's just one uh, just to give it a brief overview of, of the situation here, unless you've got a lot of money or you really push on the NHS, you're going to struggle to get support. Um, someone once told me, a medical professional once told me, those that shout the loudest get the most help. And that is very true, folks. That is very true. You've got to shout and scream on the NHS to get any form of support. And that's been my experience by and large, right? And it's the same with medications. If they don't work, go back to your GP and make your care, state your point and say, Do you know what, this isn't working. This is um keep you keep a diary of all your symptoms and um how the medications affecting you, what your um side effects are, basically. And that'll give them a picture of what your um what the problem is and you'll you'll they'll give you the medication. Right? So NHS, they're the pros, basically that you're almost guaranteed to see a professional that's kind of qualified, although the qualifications do vary. You're not going to see some man on the street if you're going through the NHS. It's almost guaranteed you don't really need to do your research. It's a robust system, well-established system. goes back to the 1940s, the NHS. So there's a lot of um, medical research founded on the NHS, and they do a lot of research, and they get funding as well from the taxpayer, right? And it's free. It's free at the point of use, right? The cons, uh, now I'd say there's probably more cons than 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 not. Uh, in my in my opinion, that's my opinion. All right, is that 
you'll be on a waiting list for quite some time if you require more than CBT or sort of primary care. So if you're someone like me that's under a mental health team under what's called secondary care, and usually, um, I don't know what the criteria is specifically, but it's if you res if you fail to respond to two or more antidepressants or you suffer from like psych psychotic illness, schizophrenia or something, basically if your problem's uh, severe, moderate to severe and you don't respond to medication then you uh, can ask your GP to be referred to the mental health team and more often than not you have to push your GP and the doctor and you have to basically make your case because as with a lot of public services they've got a lot of paperwork and they don't want the hassle of filling in the paperwork to refer you to the mental health team uh, and I can appreciate that but obviously it's their job and you are in needs and you are value valued as a person and you, you you're worth it and you and your needs matter matter, right? State your case basically, keep fighting it, right? Keep fighting the system, get yourself referred, don't give up, right? So that's a con. That's the one of one of the cons is that you will generally be on a waiting list uh, to be referred to the mental health team unless you are actively suicidal or self-harming now i'm not encouraging you to self-harm or be suicidal at all please don't do that right but my experience is that you basically have to um you have to basically um be very direct and very blunt and if you are feeling that way tell them they need to know uh, and and uh, and tell them with urgency tell them with urgency what your problems are because you need to you need that urgency you need them to take you seriously and sit up and take you seriously you need that right you need that that's a con so that's one of the cons you'll be on a waiting list right and obviously because you're on a waiting list it can send people into crisis people get fed up of being fobbed off by the nhs in some degree and it's happening all over the country i'm not trying to I'm not trying to blame them i'm not naming individual people but that's a fact, is that the NHS is chronically underfunded. And that's, I suppose that's another con, is that it's underfunded by the state, right? And that's why the waiting lists are absolutely humongous, right? So you will be seen in order of priority of your needs, your care needs, right? Um, another con is that sometimes with the NHS and with mental health things and mental health teams is that They'll have a recruitment drive where they'll train loads and loads of nurses or loads and loads of psychiatrists. Well, actually, there's a shortage of psychiatrists on the NHS at the minute, which is another another um, another problem, another black spot. You know, they'll train a lot, a lot of nurses and a lot of lot of I don't know whatever practitioners, right? And the training might not be as as robust as say the private sector, for example, where. You know, you'll get a lot of people in the private sector. I've not gone to the private sector yet, but I'm just making a point here is that you'll get a lot of people in the private sector. They've already worked in the NHS. They've already got that experience of working in the NHS. And they've got the resources behind them and they're, they're generally quite highly, highly educated, highly qualified. They've already got that lived experience. Um, another con... <clears throat> of nhs therapy is it's time limited usually with cbt you get six to between six to 12 sessions depending on how severe you are and then you just charge back to your gp it's a way to keep waiting lists down and usually they prescribe cbt as a solution as a kind of end product really once you're out with the cbt it's kind of like most people will improve if there's mild symptoms mild to moderate you know but you know 
if someone's suffering from psychosis or some serious illness like schizophrenia, giving them uh, six to 12 sessions of CBT will not help at all, you know, um, because these people are distrustful and they can become aggressive and things. Not, not all people are aggressive with it, but they can become that way. So time limitations, money limitations and resource limitations, in a nutshell, they're the cons of the NHS, right? Now, for me, what I really, what really pushed me to private therapy is because generally speaking, and this is another con of the NHS, is that you can't really tend to get an appointment uh, for therapy outside of nine to five hours. So if you've got a nine to five job in an office, you might struggle to get appointments, right? So there's no flexibility there. Uh, there's not enough resources put into it uh, and it's time limited, right? And so most people that are that can't afford to go private, for example, they'll be going, it's an endless merry-go-round of referral after referral until basically you get fed up of going to IAPT or CBT and terrain all these meds that you go to your GP and say, that's it, I want to get referred to the community mental health team, which is secondary care. Uh, and secondary care comprises of a whole team of people. You could see social workers, occupational therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, basically sort of like highly trained uh, mental health professionals on the NHS at, at the higher end of the scale. It takes a lot generally for people to be referred nowadays to, to, um, to a psychiatrist and you have to get, you have to be a part of the mental health team. Years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the GP could directly refer you to a psychiatrist. It's not the case anymore. It's, it's basically gate. There's a lot of gatekeepers in the NHS and a lot of middle managers that prevented that from happening now. And it costs a lot of money. Psychiatrists are paid an absolute fortune. If you look at the, in general, I mean, uh, in general, you know, before tax and stuff like that, they are paid quite a lot of money and they're very expensive as well. You know, so obviously people can't, uh, you know, it, they can't afford to have that many psychiatrists on the NHS because it'd be bankrupt, you know, you know because, uh, you know, they're paid like, you know, six-figure salaries in some cases, you know, mainly, you know. So, yeah. Highly qualified, highly paid. That's the way it goes. Um, so with that being said, I'll go on to private healthcare, private therapy, right? The cons, sorry, the pros of that are that full flexibility. Uh, you could see a private therapist on a weekend, on an evening. You can see a private therapist generally via Zoom, online class, online. Uh, you can see a, a private therapist over the phone. You won't have the same flexibility with the NHS, sadly, right? Um, so you'll have flexibility. Um, and, yeah, you'll have flexibility and the ability to have as many sessions as you want. You're unlimited. You can have a session every week, right, folks? So, so yeah. Please check the going rate as well for, for private therapy. It can be expensive, but actually... The reason I pay privately is obviously for that flexibility, and I also see it as an essential cost. I actually, I essentially see the cost of my private therapy the same as buying my shopping and eating food, you know. So, yeah, they're the pros of private therapy. Full flexibility, you know, um, no restrictions on how many sessions you can have. You can basically have as many sessions as you want. It's ongoing, right? And some therapists, it's worthwhile me saying this, some therapists will adjust their fee according to your means. So if you're on benefits and you are in a low income, some therapists, once they've built a rapport with you, they will actually, they will actually 
waiver their fees, right? They will waiver their fees. <coughs> they're the pros, right? So they're the pros. The cons are that you have to do your own research uh, because everyone's um, qualified to different levels. Everyone's got different experience, right? Uh, another con would be uh, not every therapist is made equal, right? Some therapists, you know, you know, some some therapists should some therapists shouldn't be in the job that they're in, basically. And I'm not referring to anyone that I've seen, but certainly it wouldn't surprise me that some therapists are out there just to take your money, basically. Right. I'm not saying that is the case, but there will be people out there that are like that, right? Uh, always check that your therapist is licensed and registered with the Healthcare Professionals Council or the British Psychological Society or the UK Council for Psychotherapy, right? Make sure that they are fully, fully accredited, right? The same way you would your GP. You won't go to the man on the street and get morphine off him or, or an injection off him. So it's the same with uh, it's the same with um, therapy, right? So that's basically it in a nutshell, folks. It's coming up to 40 minutes, this episode. I don't want to drone on, but that's basically my pros and cons of private therapy. Um, if you can afford private therapy, go for it, right? Also, there's a kind of middle ground in that organisations like Mind and things like that, I always have a look on their website and, and what they've got to offer because sometimes charities will actually pay towards your therapy or a certain amount of the cost towards your therapy, right? Um, so that's the good thing, right? So I'm going to talk about pricing and rates and things. So the going rate, it can be... It can vary depending on who you see. So you can you can pay to see a clinical psychologist, and they will they will charge hundreds, right? Literally, you can see a psychotherapist. It depends on their training. There's a whole there's a whole gambit and a and a whole breadth and depth of therapists that you can that you can see. You can see people with different qualifications, different experience. The the less qualified they are, the cheaper they'll be. The more qualified they are, the more expensive they'll be, right? So the average, I guess the average price would be anything between maybe £40, £45, £50, right up to £100, right? So I pay I pay a figure within that scale. I won't tell you what I pay, but I pay a figure within that scale every every three to four weeks, right? And I see it as an essential cost. And, and believe you me, it's great. It's great. Private therapy is great because you build up a rapport with that person. and You're not limited to time. You're not limited and it's great, and you build up a rapport with them, and, and, it, and it's it's just really good, you know, I recommend you doing it if you can, you know, if you're someone, for example, right, and if you're bothered by the cost, right, so you can pay, let's say between, you could pay £50 a session, or you could pay £80 a session, right, for a one-hour session, therapeutic session with a therapist, usually the assessment, the first session might be free for them to assess you, or it might be half the price of a normal session, right, you can pay... For example, you could be a smoker, right? You could smoke twenty fags a day, right? So how much are you paying? You know, how much how much are you paying for your habit? Whether you drink, whether you smoke, you know, how much money are you paying? Uh, are you putting into a slot machine gambling? How much money are you paying to constantly eat crap and food, right? Because whatever money you're paying, or whatever price you're paying for the problem that you have, reinvest that into therapy. You know, because so I said to myself, you know what? I drink a lot, right? I spend what five pound a go uh, for a pack of four beers at the at the off license. 
Um, so I'm spending probably more than £50 a month on, on on beer and I could put that into therapy, right? So that's the way I think about it, folks. It's an investment in your future, positive investment, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you in the long run, right? So that that is my thoughts on therapy. Well worth it going into the private sector if you've been... If you've been through the NHS and you've exhausted all the avenues, why not try private? And most people that practice in private therapy in the private sector, they've done the NHS thing. They've done it. And if someone is in the private sector and they've not worked in the public sector in the NHS, question it. Question it because you want to know. You want to know where they've trained. You want to find out what universities they've been to, what they studied, what the specialism is. Do they specialise in something? Do they specialise in eating disorders? Do they specialise in treating people with sexual abuse and trauma? Do they specialise in addiction? What do they specialise in? And ask them, ask questions. Go with a piece of paper with questions and ask them, right? Do your homework and ask them, yeah? I'm going to move on to the last point I want to make, really, before I end this, because it's going to be on. It's going to go on for at least about 50 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, right? So how to find a therapist? Ask around, word of mouth. Do you know any friends that have been through therapy that have done a, done it privately? Ask around. Ask your doctor. Ask professionals. Ask people that have done it and gone before you, right? Or you can try online, right? I have a therapist who was recommended to me by word of mouth. Um, but you can also find a lot of therapists, and I've done this before. I found therapists on, on different websites, there's a website called Counseling Directory and you can search in that website for accredited counsellors that are that, and psychologists and psychotherapists, right? They, they're all accredited on that platform and they all specialise in different therapies and different things. And it's kind of like an encyclopedia, um, that website, right? It's basically... You can find out all sorts about different conditions and different therapy types. Right, I'm not going to get into it because it's absolutely mammoth, that task. It'll be a mammoth task to go through that. I'll be another 40 minutes with you guys. But that's Counselling Directory. And I'll put that in the description of this podcast so you can check it out. All right. So that's it, Rip folks. Really, that's how I found a private therapist. There's loads of different ways you can do it, but try and find people that have been through it. Uh, their experience personally with private therapy it's kind of like buying anything go buy customer reviews you know because not every therapist is made equally but yeah that's my views folks on 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 nhs versus private so if you've got any questions or comments um, i'd welcome them i'll put this podcast on the facebook page if you've got any comments or any thoughts feel free to leave them on the facebook page right well, that's it, basically, folks. So just to recap, uh, my takeaway points, right, uh, is number one, try and recognise any of these cognitive distortions that I've talked about in this episode, right? Cognitive distortions, basically distorted thinking patterns. There's different ones that I've discussed, like catastrophizing, um, black and white thinking, magnification and minimization, right? Uh, fortune telling, mind reading, overgeneralization, disqualifying the positives, um, should always and must statements. I always must do this. I should do this. I must do this. Holding yourself to impossible standards and things like that. So whenever you notice yourself having these thoughts of, you know, I'm always going to be a failure. 
It's always going to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. It should be that way. That's basically putting yourself in either extreme and expecting it to be that way. And when you fail to meet those expectations, that's when things start to go wrong. So try and recognise these things. If these any of these things ring a bell and you research cognitive distortions and you think, you know what, these ring a bell, you know, try to recognise them. Try to reframe how you think about things. Right. And if you need help, please, please go to your GP, go to your GP and ask about cognitive distortions, ask about resources. Um, you know, they might give you some self-help stuff. They might recommend some links. Right. I'm going to put some links in the description. Right. I'm going to make a Facebook post about this as well to complement this with resources that might be able to help you, right? NHS resources mainly, but mainly they'll be from reputable healthcare resources, right? So that's it, folks. That's the cognitive distortions. And I, and also, as well, I'll just make some... I'll just recap on the second part, which is NHS versus private, right? So the cons of NHS are basically time restrictions, resources and waiting lists. So you'll be restricted in a lot of the therapies that you have on the NHS. Uh, there's waiting lists for referrals uh, and there's generally waiting lists for the waiting list. So you'll be on the waiting list for many months before you see someone and then, you know, there's problems with that associated with that. It gets people's hopes up and things like that. People have to be very realistic about what they can achieve with the public health care at the minute. Pros of the NHS, it's reputable, It's it was formed in 1940s, it's been around a long time, there's a lot of medical research behind it and there's a heavy body of, of evidence and research. People are highly qualified and you can guarantee that they're, they're qualified at least to a certain standard, right? Uh, so that's one of the pros of the NHS and it's free, it's free folks. Private healthcare, again you have to pay, um, however... Uh, the cons, uh, another con of it is rather that basically you have to do your own research on their credentials. Don't take everything as gospel. Do your research. Check the credentials. Check what university they went to. Check what, what they studied. Check what the specialisms are, right? The pros, obviously, full flexibility. You'll be able to get therapy sessions on an evening, on a weekend, right? And you'll also be able to... Um, yeah, have them on a weekend, have the sessions on a weekend, full flexibility and unlimited, unrestricted access to a therapist. And they might even let you text them between sessions just as a kind of checking in, basically. Um, and it's just all around a really good way of having therapy. You can build a rapport, rapport with them and there's no restriction. They're not going to abandon you tomorrow and say, Do you know what, that's your sessions up, sorry. You know, you'll have to re-refer yourself and wait six months. It won't happen. It won't happen um, like that in the private sector. So there, that's the points on pros and cons of each. And I mentioned as well, finally, the counselling directory. Check that out if you want to check for private. If you want to look for private practitioners, check in there, counsellingdirectory.org.uk. And I'll put that link in the descriptions below, folks. So... That's everything, folks. You guys take care uh, and bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening, folks. All right. Thanks for listening, folks, to episode two. Uh, my apologies that it's gone on uh, a little bit longer than I anticipated. 
I will try to keep a lot of these episodes shorter than 40 minutes. Uh, although I did, I did sort of anticipate that um, first couple of episodes might be about 40 minutes long uh, when it's just me hosting them. But certainly they'll be much more structured when we get to the guest speakers and things like that. Um, I just, um, for me, I want to kind of record on the fly and, and, and add value sort of naturally rather than it be overly polished and things like that. So thanks again, guys, for listening to this episode two. Hope you got something out of it. Uh, please, 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 I'd appreciate it if you could share the podcast, like and subscribe and comment on any of the channels that I'm on. Uh, and I look forward to having you on episode three. Uh, take care, guys. Bye-bye for now.